Hello fellow sports photographers. My name is Dean Mukteropoulos, or All Sports Snapper, and I'm a sports photographer working full-time for Getty Images. Welcome to the Photography Philosophy Podcast, where I have open discussions with the world's best sports photographers. I hope this will give you an in, a little bit of an insight behind the long lenses from the men and women who fill the back pages, websites, and magazines with amazing sports imagery. My guess is this will be one of many podcasts you listen to, so you know the drill. Get in contact with me via Twitter at AllSportsNapper or my website AllSportsNapper.com with any questions or suggestions. I had planned to put my DACA podcast together for this episode, but it's taking a little bit longer than I had hoped. So in this 10th episode, I speak to Richard Heathcote, a UK-based Getty Images sports photographer. Not only is Richard covering every major sports event for Getty, he's also a camera wizard and tests new equipment before its release to the market and is also the UK go-to guy with all the technical stuff from our computers that most of us ignore. We spoke about shooting golf and working on a picture, shooting the same golf course in different months, which changes the light completely, auto white balance adjustments, the challenges with remotes when working at the London Olympics and the upcoming Rio Games, which has changed quite a lot, and getting a great moment from the Oxford and Cambridge University boat race. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, welcome to Photography Philosophy Podcast. Our uh, next guest is a man, uh, a bit of a renaissance man, I think, when I uh, mention uh, what he has done and what he's doing. Um, but let's start with uh, a bit of an introduction. Richard, can you uh, let us know who you are and where you're from, please? All right, it's, uh, yeah, my name's Richard Heathcote. Um, I'm a sports photographer for Getty Images um, based in the UK. I live just outside of London um, towards Oxford. And um, I've been uh, I've been shooting sports for Getty Images for over eleven years, and did about sort of six seven years at um, uh, Action Images kind of before that. So coming up to twenty years now, or sort of eighteen yeah eighteen years since I've yeah you know, been working in the industry. And we can be a bit more specific too, because my uh, my listeners are a very very intelligent bunch. So um, you're fr- you're from very close to Watford, is that right? Yes, very close to Watford, mate. Yeah. And you're a, and a Watford uh, football fan as well. Very much so. Very much a Watford football <laughs> fan, mate. Enjoying your season so far? Pretty solid so far. Doing better than we, uh, you know, nice and solid and uh, looking like yeah, you know, calm head and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you know finish seventeenth or higher, <laughs> which is where it's important to stay. Exactly. As long as you stay in the league, that's the thing, isn't it? All that matters at the moment, first season. Yeah. All right. So, um, and you're born and raised uh, in uh, North London, there? Uh, well, well, that sort of Hertfordshire area. Yeah, mate. Hertfordshire. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Born in the, uh, born in the ho- in the hospital right next to the ground, funnily enough, and uh, oh, lived okay. um, lived in that area till um, kind of went to like college, university when I was sort of seventeen. Okay, so um, before we start talking about what you, uh, what the many things that you do for Getty, um, let's start with your uh, first photography memory. Do you uh, dig back into the memory yeah, and see what, what was your memory. first thing you remember doing? Yeah, no, um, I kind of got into photography through my dad. Uh, it was a hobby of my dad's. Um, so obviously, you know, as a kid, naturally, yeah, you spend time with your parents and you kind of want to do whatever they're doing and. Um, I just remember, yeah, we we would um, sort of go 
I didn't really sort of say, right, you know, this is, you know, go and do that, go and do that. It was kind of like, you know, let me borrow his camera to begin with. Um, just go and shoot a few. I just, I just go for a wander basically, you know, maybe shoot a few pictures or whatever, and then um, process the, you know, do the old process the black and white films in the kitchen sink, and then, um, and then black out the bathroom and turn the bathroom into like a mini dark room every now and again, and you know, do some black and white prints. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, is that uh, what drew you into photography? Sort of like yeah, uh, I know yeah. no, that sort of um, that uh, you know shooting something and then seeing it sort of you know the the chemicals. Um, um, it was that was that sort of a part of the uh, the allure of photography for you? It was I don't know. To be I, th- I think I just enjoyed more. Um, you know, obviously, you know, sort of you know spending time with the dad and doing stuff. So it was kind of. Um, it was a bit more. Um, it wasn't necessarily what I was shooting or what the end product was at that at that particular time. It was just some, you know, it was just kind of a hobby uh, yeah. that just happened to I kind of in the end liked and got into. And then um, you know when it when you kind of get to uh, making choices at school over what you want to do, it was something I didn't. Yeah, you know, you know it, it was something I thought. Well, I quite like it. It's going to kind of see where it goes, kind of a thing. And um, and was it and how long before you sort of realised that sports photography was something that you wanted to sort of start focusing on? Um, probably when I was so I did four years at sort of college, sort of two to one close to home to Reading. And when I was in Reading, um, I was kind of um, there was a, a, another student in the year above me. Um, a guy called Stuart Turkington, um, who I kind of still kind of know, he does a lot of PR and stuff in like that local Reading area. Um, he actually went on work experience with Bob Martin. Oh. And okay. that kind of like, I thought, oh, I quite like that, you know, all the idea of that. And I mean, when I didn't end up going on work experience with Bob or anyone like that. But I kind of also, you know, I mean, I kind of quite liked that, so I could just started shooting a few bits and pieces. Um, local sport in um, like that Reading area was so it was my last year or two at college and just kind of made it was kind of like a natural um, what I was th- yeah like a natural kind of career path is what I wanted to do so you just thought like okay well let's just go for it didn't quite work out like that because um, obviously kind of the whole it was you couldn't just the course wouldn't let you focus just on one type of photography, which is obviously very good not to do that. Um, but um, so I was doing a bit more sort of press work, sort of stuff like that. And then um, met my missus when I was down there and she was still at university in London, moved up to London. And I started looking for freelance work, really, just sort of, um, and most of it was with um, um, doing celebrity stuff but to begin with, because it was easy to get into. Um, like, um, uh, photo calls, film premieres, you know, just little bits and pieces whilst I was also doing, you know, some other work just to pay the bills. And saw an opportunity um, at a picture agency called Action Images. Um, went to them, had a little sort of job interview with them. Um, didn't get a job there because they, um, uh, the money they were offering at the time for the position that, yeah, this is in like the good old days of like, you know, like the mid nineties when, you know, juniors, juniors, you, know, you started in the dark room 
almost straight out of school and you learnt on the job and you know, the wages were almost non-existent. You were kind of expected if you were still living at home kind of thing and I wasn't. So I couldn't actually financially afford to take a job that was, you know, wasn't even earning enough money to cover the rent. Um, so still kept freelancing for about another, I would say, six months or so, doing a few bits and pieces. And then uh, actually we just started up a celebrity side, a small celebrity agency as part of their. So I thought, oh, hello, is is a chance. Um, knew someone who was involved, got in straight in uh, there when they started it up, and I from there, you know, it, it was my you know complete mindset from day one is get in on that side of it and go start shooting sport or say, look, can I shoot some sport? Can I, you know, can I learn? Um, and that's kind of how it happened, really. Um, yeah, I kind of, um, within you know, like a month or so of starting working for them, I was then you know, asking, oh, can I go out to you know, the equivalent of like a championship game or go and do some photo calls for you? Because, you know, I mean, photo calls, photo calls are photo calls regardless. So, and, that, and that's kind of how it you know, slowly worked my way across um, into the sports side of it. And within about a year or so, I was you know, pretty much shooting sport full time. Okay, so um, and how? So you said you were at, um, and this is uh, Action Images at, for six years. Is that right? Uh, about seven years, I think six, seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ninety-seven to two thousand four. So yeah, sort of six and a half, seven years. And then uh, how did uh, how did the move to Getty come uh, come around? Um, uh, a good friend of well, someone you and I both know, Harry Howe. Yes. Um, was um, in the UK, uh, work, working in the UK for a couple of years, um, moved from the LA office to, to the UK for a bit, and he, he was going back to LA, he was going back to America after working for here a couple of years. And so I approached um, uh, Dave Cannon, uh, sorry, cause, uh, I mean, at, at the time, I'd kind of, I've always liked golf, so I was, always sh- I was shooting golf quite a bit um, at Action Images, um, so I've been doing golf for probably five years, shooting golf for about four and a half, five years, uh, action images. And um, so I knew all the Getty golf guys. Um, so I, I just um, I approached Dave Cannon when Harry was about to go back. And I said, you know, um, if there is an opportunity or if you're looking for someone, I'd be interested. And um, Dave took note and about a couple more Two months later, yeah, it was just before, just before the Athens Olympics. Um, um, the then boss, um, Adrian Morel, gave me a call, invited me to come meet him, and um, I was offered a job. Um, yeah, yeah good. I just um, for our listeners, I'll, there's a few names you've mentioned in there. Now, yes. Harry's a um, a good friend of both of ours and uh, LA-based photographer who does all American sport. And I remember one of the first times I met him, we sort of. Uh, he started talking about darts and snooker and stuff and all these sports that most Americans have no idea about. Yeah. So I thought that was quite funny. But um, the name Bob Martin, who um, who's uh, actually got a new book out at the moment and will be a guest in the uh, coming months because um, I have spoken to him. But he's a uh, I like to think of him as the godfather. Yeah, of definitely. Sports photography. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've ordered my book. Unfortunately, when he had the book launch, I was away working. Um, it's a shame because I, I mean, I'd have been there in a, a drop a, of a hat. 
Because of- yeah, you look at the pictures and you just realize that everything that we do on, you know, we try to, we are just treading on old territory. Well, you know, he's done yeah. it. He's done it all, all before. You know, everything that we think is new has been done by Bob. You know, exactly over the last forty years. <laughs> well, Bob's, Bob's. I mean, actually, funny you say that. Bob was actually when I was offered my when um, when I was offered the job at Getty Images, I actually phoned Bob for his opinion to talk to him and you know he was he was actually very very good and um his advice to me was you got to think of it two ways you know where i was at action images i was at the point where i could you know i was on the top end of the photographers um i was pretty much doing you know all the top jobs that i wanted to do within reason you know you know obviously all that stuff gets shared out but i got you know quite a, you know, on a lot of things he said you know you've got to realize that you'll be you're going in not quite the bottom of the ladder but you you know there's a lot more photographers there's a lot more competition but it'll open you know the the environment will open up your vision and open up your competitiveness a bit more and so yeah which is well which is what i you know you know obviously it was still my decision but it was uh invaluable um advice he gave me i mean bob is bob i mean personally i think i think bob's Probably the best sports photographer I know. Um, the, his attention to detail is unreal. He he, yeah. um, he he puts in as much effort into a picture that's going to be printed an inch by two inches as to a picture that's going to be printed on a you know on like a billboard. Yeah, yeah. agree. And that, you know, that's yeah phenomenal photographer yeah, yeah, yeah. without a doubt. And that's why I've. Um... Like I said, you know, godfather of sports photography, and I've got to get him on here, and he, he has agreed. Excellent. So, um, Bob, if you are listening, <laughs> I'm coming for you soon. <laughs> and the other name you mentioned was Dave Cannon, yes. which um, which is one of the Getty senior photographers who's been at the company forever. And, forever um, yeah. yeah, and he's uh, and if uh, if anyone hasn't heard that name, it's um, from the first interview I did with Chris Lee. We um, we talked about um, Dave Cannon. He's the uh, yeah. The king of golf photography and has been has done every major and every. He's clocked up a hundred majors now. Uh, he did that last year. Hundred major. Hundred major golf, major golf, golf tournaments. There's only four a year, and he, there was at points he wasn't doing all four. So yeah, he's, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. He kind of phenomenal. Lays down, <laughs> and also, I mean, I mean, he doesn't obviously do it so much now because we've got such a bigger star. But in the old yeah. all sport days, he would do football, World Cup. He did, he did the Olympics. He did pretty much everything. So he's yeah, and he's one of those guys that you could put. You know, he hasn't shot football for twelve months. He'll sit next to a football pitch and come away with the best come, picture. He'll come away. With, yeah, yeah, he's one of the top. He'll, he'll come away with the picture, no problem. Yeah. He'll come away with the picture every <laughs> single time. Yeah, phenomenal. Anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to um, let the listeners know about these names that uh, that we mentioned uh, as well. Like, and uh, hopefully, like I said, Bob. Dave and uh, Harry will all be guests uh, over the coming months as well. So um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, now what? Now the thing is, actually, one of the main reasons I got you on, um, I think I could do probably three or four interviews with you with the amount of stuff <laughs> that you do for Getty. Um, and I'll just quickly run through the things that I know, and I'm sure there's probably other things that I don't know that you work do behind the scenes. But you do, you. Um, Firstly, you do a lot of the technical side of things. So you do our um, testing of the new laptops and new software and new programs and all that kind of stuff that get to use, all the staff photographers um, worldwide. You also test stuff for Canon. 
So whenever new equipment comes out, you know, like I remember you had the 1DX uh, months and months before, you know, you had to put stickers over labels and stuff like that. So you were testing new equipment. Um, you also um, do the remotes, um, which uh, at the Olympics we had remotes uh, set up in the roof with, um, you know, run through the computers. So you could do, you know, you could reframe it, you could do different exposures, all that kind of stuff. So you did all the testing for that. Um, you're also very gifted technically, so you know how all the ins and outs of all the um, all the hardware and that works at the major events, the Olympics, World Cups, and all that kind of stuff. Um, is there anything else I'm missing apart from being a sports a great sports photographer <laughs> well, as well? Uh, and occasionally <laughs> but, take a picture every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> occasionally take pictures as well. Um, you also have done jobs. You know, you've worked closely with FIFA. You've worked with um, obviously you were at the Rugby World Cup, which was a yep, really you know you, it was brilliant. Yeah, I enjoyed that. The Rugby World Cup. Well, who were you working for there? Who um, through Getty, for, obviously, but yeah, through Getty. So it was for World Rugby, which is essentially. Um, they are the organisers of the event, so say like FIFA, Upper Football, World Rugby, um, or uh, all previously known, or also known as the IRB, we're working for them. So yeah, you were doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, and you were doing, you had access to um, positions that no other photographer is allowed to. You also, um, if anyone uh, was looking at the Getty website over the last few months, you um, even though I, don't, I think sometimes the, your name wasn't on some of the pictures, it just said um, supplied by World Rugby. Yeah, there's right? a handout. So an example was um, we had to do whatever the the um, the cultural dances. Cultural dances. That's we're not allowed to say hacker. Not say hacker because it's only the New Zealand that do hacker. Okay, but, but we 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 are, we are not the hacker and every yeah the the other versions by the other island nations that do. Um, a pre-kickoff war dance. Um, yeah, so we were, I say, um, we were shooting those for on from on the pitch at various angles. So because obviously it's a privileged position, but it's also images that it's it's got. Um, you don't want that picture to just sit and not get seen. You want to get that out. It was we um, a deal was done where we supply that image as a handout from that particular photographer. So it might not go out with my name on it. It might just say handout. Um, yeah, so yeah. Just for an example, again for our listeners, is um, there's a, sometimes you have a position where there's only one photographer allowed, and um, an example, not a sports one, but like for uh, say a a trial at uh, a court case in the Hague, you know, the international courts. You know, there's only one photographer allowed into the court system, so then one photographer will get in, do the picture, and then we'll pass it out to everyone. And for the, we'll say the hacker because that's the most famous one. No disrespect to our Tongan and uh, Samoan listeners out there. But um, the hacker is the most famous one, the, the war dance from the New Zealand rugby team. And uh, yeah, you were lying down. I was laying down standing in up front of it. Like, in front of it. So yeah, yeah, you had a, you know, had an experience. you felt the full force of the, um, you know, well, you're standing uh, next, to a, well, next to a cameraman, a uh, TV cameraman. Yeah, lay, laying on the floor. Um, laying on the floor between the two teams. Um, and although it's in a big stadium, so say some of the other cultural dances, the teams were spread out, which was, you know, it didn't, doesn't quite work photographically because if you're laying down on the floor and you're sort of looking flat or looking up, when you've got people at a certain distance, they're quite small and, it, and if they're spread out, it doesn't work so well. Um, but also the sound kind of dissipates, if you know what I mean. For this, for the for the last um, Rugby World Cup recently, about you know, a couple of months ago, um, the All Blacks were in a very tight triangular or diagonal formation. It was a very triangular formation, 
very close together. So they were, I mean, from corner to corner, they were maybe 20 foot apart, 25 foot apart. Um, so the sound was all together. And because it's the hacker anyway, you get, you know, you get the little, the old goose bumps go a little bit more anyway. But I mean, the sound was, you know, directing over the top of my head because I'm laying on the floor to the team that's standing behind me. Um, so it was, yeah, it was quite an experience that. Is, uh, and it did make a great picture as well. Made quite a nice picture as well, yeah, yeah, which we won't complain about. <laughs> um, now, can we, I mean, you cover, like I said, you cover everything, you know, you do you know, swimming and you do everything that Getty does. Yep. Um, is there a sport that you enjoy shooting the most or is there? I, like, I do like golf. And it, it's, it's, I love football. Football is fantastic to shoot. It really is. It's, is is nothing quite um if you get and you know what it's like if you get a great you know like a, when you get like a good goal picture and a celebration running straight at you it's a fantastic feeling and it yeah. can be amazing it's just sort of it looks you know but also at the same time shooting football can be quite i mean you can make beautiful pictures out of it but it's sometimes i think you you can't be you haven't got that license to move around and change scenarios, if you know what I mean. Something like the thing I like about golf courses and shooting golf is you get, you know, the light. You know, okay, it's a long day, it's a long slog, but you can get some amazing light early morning, late evening. You've got different angles, different positions. You can, you know, different types of things you can look for. You can get amazing color. Um, you can also get soaking wet, obviously, <laughs> um, but. Um, there's just I like going looking for pictures. I start, you know, it, it's nice to go to a course or go to a venue and okay, you know, people go there before you can see certain pictures. But it's also nice to then go and find something completely different or to find um, to find an angle and think, oh, hang on a minute, that doesn't work now, but it might work in a couple of hours, and go back in those couple of hours and see if it does work because the lights moved around and then you know then working that position then working that angle and waiting for the light to drop in um a, a, um, a good example is an event i actually go to most years i mean I, yeah i'd say regularly most years i've only probably only missed a couple in the last 10 15 years um it's the players championship in florida um which is the uspga tours probably their highest profile event um, and it's on the same golf course every year so it's the same golf course so once you've been a couple of years you know the course but thing, you know, things change times change it's moved from different times of the year it used to be in March when the, you know, the lights in a different place and different angle and then it moved to May and all of a sudden the, the um, lights change things are in different angles and you've got to start all over again and from the change, from the an, an example, so from that change, from that March to May change they made, light on a lake all of a sudden came into play to make reflections um, and sort of silhouettes, and so then you're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and you and you work out that there's probably only two or three groups out of the whole side of the draw that are going to be going past that lake at the right time, and out of those two or three groups, you've got to hope there's no cloud, the sun's right. And they put the ball in the right position because it's a second shot. So, you know, they're, they're spread across a, you know, like a, for a, you know, they're spread across a fairway. Uh, massive fairway in terms of yeah. width. And also they've got to be closer to the water, not closer to you. Because so, you don't, then they, well, you know, you can't fit them in that 
envelope of reflection. Um, it's a picture I've kind of I kind of like to go and work on and get. I've actually got quite a nice version from this year, um, which will probably be in my set from this year. Um, and um, it's it's just nice to sit there and work on it and work on it. And and again, this kind of comes back in you know talking into the technical side of things. You think okay, and this is about knowing your equipment. Um, everyone thinks okay, well the exposure's got to be that. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. People don't think about their color balance sometimes, and um, yeah, a lot of people shoot on auto auto white balance. Personally, I like to I like I like to stick to a white balance. If you, you know, so when you look at a set of pictures, it's consistent across the board. Yeah, you know, you know if, if you shoot on auto white balance and you're shooting a football match under floodlights, you know that white white balance will change all over the place depending on if you've got someone in a white kit, a red kit. If you've got a you know, black kit, especially referees, you know, you, you, all, all, all of a sudden, if the colour is kind of predominantly black in the frame, you know, your picture all of a sudden goes quite kind of magenta. So it's, um, you, you know, I, I like to find a white balance and stick to it. And, and, sorry, and going back to this, to this picture of the golf of silhouette, it's, right, it's sunny. Okay, oh, okay, right, it's sunny, so I must have my camera on sunny. No, it's sunny, but you're shooting into the lights. And if you want the, so if you shoot that picture sunny in, into the light, reflections are going to be quite cold, quite blue, which is, which is what you want. But I want to warm them up a bit so it looks a bit more, you know, a bit more sunny, a bit more, you know, a bit more, sunny, a bit warmer, a bit more, a bit more, yes. um, it's got that glow to it. So, you know, you change your white balance. So, you know, I, you know, rock the white balance down to, say, like the shady setting, which is probably the warmest of the presets. And all of a sudden, your reflections go golden, you know. And it's not, um, you know. So you're you're using your knowledge of your equipment and you're preconceiving what you want to do, you know. So it's not like you know you've got you shot the image sunny in Photoshop and you think, oh, that looks a bit cold, and you know people warm it up or do something that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're preconceiving the idea, so you're thinking, okay, well, I want it nice and warm, so I'm just gonna there you go. I'll just pop it on um, you know, shady for this particular picture, and there you go. And then the, and the highlights warm up because you're shooting a silhouette, so the subject is black, and the subject's going to be black whether you're, regardless of what white balance you're on. So you know you're you know you've got to think about how you you know what what tone color or tone you want to that final image. I think this is a topic that we've um, <clears throat> excuse me the topic that we've sort of uh, touched on. With um, Vlad in the last interview, you know, like we uh, photographers, uh, you know, with at Getty and you know, I'm, I'm guessing all the other major agencies, sort of, we try to get it. You got to get it right in camera. Yeah. So, like yeah. you said, instead of you know, oh, I'll get it here and then I can, oh, I'll add some you know reds in or whatever later. Got to get it right in camera. You got to get, get it right, right in camera. camera. And, and you know, we we don't have you know when you're at these events, you know, especially you know these major events, you don't have five minutes to work on a picture no. you literally have don't even 30 seconds it. you don't even yeah. see i mean if you've got an editor i don't even you know basically i'm you know we shoot the pictures you you, you shoot it as you see it if you want it um and then you know you're you know you're sending the jpeg to the editors and then they're interpreting what you shot and also they've got their take on what it looks like and what they think it should look like um so you know and they're processing, I mean, it's a scary amount of images that they process. If you think, for example, um, just like a major football, um, say like an 
international at Wembley for like a, like an England game. There'd be three Getty photographers working Getty editorial. There'd probably be four Getty photographers working for the FA. So that's seven photographers. Those four editors, because um, that's how many we would do, we we would have at Wembley because of the workload. They're, they're dealing with seven photographers who are probably shooting somewhere in the region of five hundred to fifteen hundred images each per match, depending on what they're doing and where they are. Um, you haven't got time. You just you know you don't you know you know you've got to you know you, you can't spend more than thirty seconds on a picture really. No, you don't. Yeah, I mean the photog- the the editors look at a picture within two or three seconds of made a decision if that picture is good enough to be edited, and then the editing is literally crop, slight lighting or darkening of of a thing. You know, we don't burn in things. No. You, know, you don't have that sort of time. No. And then it's it's caption and sent to the client. Yeah. It's it's literally that quick. So um, yeah, I mean, well, this is the other thing. Let's let's move a little bit forward then. And can you talk to us about the remote, um, the setup, but I'm sure yep. that we, um, we are doing, uh, some remotes, uh, and I'm sure you're involved heavily with, uh, Brazil for Rio. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So do you want me to explain how, what, what, what we did for lunch? Yeah. Then? Yeah. Well, we've <laughs> talked about remotes in, pre- in, in previous interviews, but this, um, this is not like, you know, my sort of basic, uh, you know, cable, you know, set up to the back of the, back of the goal and fire it and then take your card out and download it later and all that kind of stuff. This is a lot more advanced than that. Can you just give us a quick uh, overview of what you're doing and then uh, tell us about the uh, technicalities of, uh, of, of, this, uh, of this new, uh, well, more recent uh, acquisition to what we are, to, to the selection of pictures that we're putting on? Yeah, sure. So, um, so this goes back to London 2012. And um, it'd be no surprise to you when I let you know that the photo chief of London 2012 was... Bob Martin. <laughs> so, um, you know, again, you know, vision, 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 making sure you get the shot and what um, and how it looks. So um, a lot of the, say, something like a major event, an Olympics, you, there are a lot of angles where you put remotes in the roof looking down, straight down onto the subject from above because it's quite graphic. You get strong, bold colours, you get potential, you've got logos, and the Olympic rings is such an iconic logo, you want to try and put that in somewhere, and you want to make patterns and shapes. Um, so, you know, normally there's a venue, you might have a catwalk, uh, as long as you um, know what you're doing up there, um, you can go and you install the camera, fire out a pocket wizard, as if you would do no different to your gold mouth remote at the back of the football uh, um, unfortunately for London, a lot of the sports you would want to have those angles from were in a, a venue called XL, and um, which is essentially a box, an exhibition hall. It has no catwalk. It has quite low ceiling. Um, a couple of the other venues, they, you know, some of these because um, some of the venues for London 2012 were temporary. Um, there was no need for a catwalk because basically, you know, you just get riggers to string up trusses and hang lights and speakers from that truss in the air, and then it all comes down and gets taken away. You know, why would you go to the expense of putting in a catwalk in a temporary building? You don't need it. So um, it was becoming very apparent that to get these iconic images, um, we would have to install cameras in advance and not see where the sport is. So an example is the basketball. Um, it was a temporary venue, 
and we had to install our cameras uh, three weeks before three yeah about three weeks before the first basketball match. So the, the, there wasn't even a floor down. There was no playing surface, let alone a basket, um, you know, and the hoop, etc. Um, so we had the uh, we had to go through the process of having cameras installed on a truss that was then lifted up into place and would be looking down in the spot you would put as if you could get there normally. And this kind of threw up, um, the idea became um, robotically controlled cameras. So essentially a robotically controlled head that you could attach a camera to. So it's a, a remote camera that you had the ability to frame, move and control the camera settings. Um, a lot of development was done with um, with the two major camera companies, Canon and Nikon. Um, they both went with different um, partners in the movie industry and the TV industry who have got vast experience in um, robotically controlled um, TV cameras. Um, one company does um, the the Canon head that we ended up using. Um, the company they went with, they make something called a cue ball, which is you'll see everywhere. I mean, I really mean you'll see everywhere. It literally looks like a big softball size thing, almost like a half, like a mini football, and it completely spins around. Um, and that's in, they put that, that's, it almost looks like a CCTV camera, but it isn't. But you'll see that. It's the sort of thing that goes in dressing rooms. It's the sort of thing that goes um, used heavily on uh, Big Brother. A lot, a lot of the cameras in Big Brother are that style, um, and also um, thing. It's called the Dean. You'll know what I'm talking about. The the old washing machine that um, trundles up and down the side of the athletics, and sometimes you see on the front of boats. That's a very similar design. Yeah, the one of the athletics you don't want to get in front of. You don't either, want to get in front of. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. no <laughs> if you do, your legs coming <laughs> off or whatever. Exactly. So you know, that was their kind of background, um, and the company that Nikon used were in uh, Hollywood style um, motion control. So they the they design heads that make um, lots of repeat movements and things like that. So you can program things and you, know, you can preset movements. So anyway, um, yeah, we we had. 10 of these robotically controlled heads installed across the games. Uh, we made the decision where we wanted them, where we thought they would make pictures, lenses. We, make, we had to make the decision before installation. So you're kind of, you're looking at your heights, your distances, what you think a picture is, what you think the lens is. Um, so we had a multitude of things between a, uh, a 24-105 or a 70-200, and we had a couple with 200-400s on as well. Um, which is quite handy because that lens has only just come out um, at the time. Um, and um, the art. This, uh, this is the advantage of having a close, close working relationship with Nikon and with Canon, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was quite handy. I knew about that lens in advance and it kind of, how should we say, helped with its, um, its uh, yeah, yeah. Development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll keep quiet about that, so. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, sorry, I'm kind of blathering. Um, no, 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 no. So we're um, so the so these cameras. You know, we're we're working out what the pictures are. So for 
basketball, you want to be over in net. Fine, that's easy. That's straightforward. Um, but when it comes to installation, we've you know, got this big robotic head, which is essentially once you've got the camera on it and the control box, which we had to um, almost design um, to house all the bits to control it. Um, by the time you put that on, you're talking about somewhere between 15 to 20 kilos. And that's then got to be clamped onto a, tr- onto a swinging moving truss. Um, that's then got to be strapped down so it doesn't swing. Because uh, these heads turn around. You know, you, you know, you've got a couple of axis, tilts, spin, um, so you can frame up. Um, within <laughs> The basketball one is a bit boring, but it's the quite most interesting installation because we're standing there and we've got a complete concrete floor, no... You know, you know, there's some stands in, but there's no, like I say, there's no plane surface anything like that. So we're st- we've got the plan, the drawn plan for where everything should be going, and we've got like, you know, like big tape measures, and we're marking out where we think the core is, and we're marking out. Well, hang on a minute. Well, you know, the net should be this distance from that line, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, marking that on the floor, and working out where we want to hang the truss. So the truss goes in. Uh, we put our cameras on it, and I mean, you know, a, a truss can be two meters. So, you know, if you put your camera too far back, all of a sudden you you aren't looking over the board, and you you know, part of the net is obscured. But you can't, you know, when you're trying to put two or three robotic cameras on a truss, because obviously we weren't the only people doing this. Um, you know, you've got to kind of, you can't all wedge up one end because then the truss is going to tip and be off balance. Um, so you kind of have to make an educated guess in the end. You think, no, I think that's the right spot. I'll take that. That's my spot. So boom, 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 boom. Um, and then, you know, truss is lifted up. Come back two weeks later once the floor's in place. Come back, you know, boot it all up. Um, and um, lo and behold, it, it, we were got um, fortunate, we shall say, as it was it was pretty much spot on, perfect. The, um, the angle was as if you were, as if you were up there yourself, essentially. Um but then now the advantage then becomes that it's a robotically controlled. So, okay, yes, it's perfectly framed for that basketball net remote that you would get at any normal NBA game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but now you can move it and you can reframe it and you can change the camera exposures. So we're now at that point where you think, eh, okay, well, that might work. I'll do a little angle across, turn it around or spin it this way, do a different shape. But then you can drop the exposure as well. And so, you know, where, you know, say new normal exposure for that would be twelve fiftieth of a second two eight something like that or you might drop the drop the aperture a bit again a bit more sharpness um i was thinking okay what well, so okay just knock the exposure down to quarter of a second because you can because it's on a lockdown truss so it's not moving anywhere it's clamped safely you can have a little play and then you just get like the shapes and movement and you've still got the You've still got the the net and the um, board razor sharp, and the logo that you can see is razor sharp. Um, we've now got this movement of players that giving you know it gives you it, it opens up your you know, opens up your opportunity to more to more images. Where normally with a basketball remote, you you know you go up there, you clamp it up, and you you wouldn't change the exposure, you wouldn't move anything, you you, you know you'd leave it as it is. Um, so all these all these robotically controlled heads, we controlled them from within the venue. So um, basketball was sitting in the stands, and we had um, network cables running from the head down to where I was sitting. Um, in the swimming venue, we actually had to install them inside the lighting pod because the the 
the swimming venue had a lovely sort of contoured wooden slatted roof, which was amazing to look at. And the lights were in kind of pods. And I suppose, you know, quite like one of the one particular pod happened to be in not the perfect position, but not a bad position. Um, you know, not far off where you'd want it um, looking down um, just, I don't know, maybe sort of five metres or so from the start block. So you, so when you look down at the start block, you're not looking directly down, you're looking a little bit into them. So for celebrations, you can see faces and you're looking straight down when, when swimmers are going past you. Um, again, that was controlled. So you're not, you know, we're, we're, we're a normal photographer is pool on the pool deck on the pool side. We, I was up in the stands and I, you know, not a great angle if you're physically watching it, but, good enough so you can time it because you know, the, you know, the other thing is that uh, live view has got latency to it you can't um, you know if you're using live view on a camera over, over, over a network um, through the software through the you know, your normal camera control software it's got latency to it so you if you're looking at your screen you're too late you've missed it it's already happened so how long was that delay you'd say like at a, at a rough guess would it be a second or two um, seconds or? half a second to a second half a second half okay. sec- which doesn't sound much but you know, no, it's it, massive. It's massive, yeah, absolutely massive. You sometimes know. you see, like, and I'm sure you know all the people listening as well will know. You know, you sometimes player celebrates. You know, he'll just give a quick punch of the fist, or she will give a big, you know, punch of the fist, a quick scream, and you know that's when you see it on TV, it's over within a flash. I mean, so if you don't have that, if you can't react quickly, you've missed it. And to have that little, even half a second delay, that takes an extra bit of skill and uh an ability to sort of uh preempt that doesn't it yeah 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 it does yeah yeah and just was it you let's just another thing we'll just make clear there's two two things i just want to mention when you say there was other people up there we had let's see afp reuters getty images afp reuters getty um sports illustrated put heads up um was EPA out there? I think they may have done one or two, but not okay. Really. So yeah, so these are the not other really. major. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was it, it was purposely restricted to the major agencies plus Sports Illustrated for yes. two reasons really. The first being space, um, and the fact that it's you know if you there's the um, is the IOPP pool to the Olympics, which is essentially the major agencies. So it was opened up to all the major agencies if they wanted to participate, um, which is about, essentially is about six. Um, of those that wanted to do it, you've then got to think of the financial, financial outlay for this. It's not cheap. I mean, I'll give you a ballpark figure. We did 10 heads for London 2012. The financial outlay on that, for getting manpower, because you know, we're obviously we're paid already, but you know, just like the technological outlay on that was somewhere in the region of seventy to a hundred thousand pounds. Okay, so we're talking serious money. That's not in, then, then you've got all the equipment. That's not including um, the camera equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, so that's just the heads. That's just. Then you've got the cameras, and you're talking uh, two hundred to four hundred. Not cheap. Seventy-two hundred. You're talking one DXs or one DX. Um, one DX. You know, which are again, you know. Back then, they were all brand new as well. Like this is the this is they had just come out for the Olympics, pretty much. Yeah. So you know, you're talking 
serious amounts of cash when you talk about that kind of um, kind of outlay in the ten venues, and then and the other thing which uh, I'll you know have to mention is that if these if you were to just open it up to everybody, then uh, the IOC or you know the Olympic Committee and that they think, okay, what what how are we going to get the best coverage? So obviously the big agencies have the most distribution channels. So if you give it to a freelancer who might do the same or get great pictures as well, you know he only has a very he or she would have a very limited um, distribution. But someone like Reuters, AFP, Getty Images, they have um, their pictures will get seen more. It, you know, it's as simple as that. So that's why these agencies get preference over the um, over the smaller agencies or the you know the the single uh, woman or man working you know as a freelance photographer. So that, that's that's the main reason why they get um, they get that access pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, financially as well. It's oh, it's not... it's a it's an unbelievable financial outlay. Maybe that's what a lot of people maybe don't appreciate. I know there's a lot of the oh, the big agencies, da, 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 da. but maybe some people just they just don't see the financial outlay involved in running operations of that size. I mean, it, it's you know, I mean. It, it's a lot of money. It really, and also, every the other time, every time you do a major event, you're laying out obscene amounts of money just to cover it to the level that you know we want to cover at an event to produce the product that we want to produce. And that's a, the other thing I wanted to mention as well is that um, this was not just something that every photographer was using either. So there was yourself and Ian Walton. Is uh, that there right? was there was four of us. Uh, yeah. Myself, Chris, Ian Walton, um, Rob, Chris McGrath. And, yeah, Chris McGrath and, and Rob Carr. Uh, Rob Carr. Okay, yeah. so we had an Aussie, um, an Irishman, yeah. an American, and an Englishman. And, me, and yeah. the, they don't walk into a bar. <laughs> just, uh, sorry. Believe me, we walked into a bar every night. <laughs> yeah, walk into a bar. You'd be the frustration. That's the other thing. The frustration involved is, un- is unreal. Um, this, I mean, this is. Um, so we've got the cameras set across the venue, and you think you can control it. You know, because it moves, you think, oh, that's brilliant. I'll be able to follow the action or oh, brilliant. Oh, I'll be able to do this. I'll move this around. It's all new technology. It's all new equipment. It's all new. You know, a, a lot of the equipment has gone through beta testing, you know, like the heads and stuff like that. But they were all made for this particular event. So, that, you know, it's not stuff off the shelf that's pre-existed. A lot of it. It's all stuff that's been made. So stuff breaks, stuff goes wrong. You know, there's always little electronic gremlins or the power gets pulled. Um, at some venues, or you've got to do resetting, and it, the frustration level is off the chart. I mean, I, I really can't put that across. Say, I mean, I had it two or three times where you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, it's going to be great! It's going to be great!" You know, Mo Farah when he won his um, second uh, his second gold medal on the track. So I was um, I was in in the stadium and on the robotics that night, and he had. Two camera. No, so we had two robotics on 200 to 400 at two different points. One, uh, one near the back straight, covering like the jump pits, and also any that might make a picture around that area. And one um, looking down towards the finish line. And you're controlling both. I was controlling both at the okay. same time. So you know, you're saying you've got two sets of joysticks and two laptops. And you, oh, all right, yeah, it's not like a you know DJ multitasking kind of a thing. But, yeah, you just use your common sense and work out that one to that one to that one. And anyway, it's getting to the point where Farah's on, um, he's coming down, Bell's gone, last lap, and I just thought, okay, well, he's a bit of a distance, so I've made a frame on the back. And I've knocked 
the camera that I had looking on the finish line. And it's like, oh, God, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, I need to move that. And then all of a sudden, the network slows down. The camera's not, you know, the, you know like the joystick's not removing, it's not responding as it should do. And I'm just like, stress levels go through the roof. And you just think, move, move, move. And there's obviously a few, uh, well, the choice words used at quite a lot, quite, quite a this loud. This is a PG body. show, please. <laughs> this is a PG show. Um, and I just, it just all of a sudden, it began, again, because you're on, you know, you're using live view to frame it, um, but also the the laptop and the camera downloading so that's using the network at the same time there's a little you know it's just um yeah frustrating when it's not responding as quickly as if this is you know it's not responding as quickly as if you were up there because obviously it's not going to um but anyway i got it in position and managed to get a frame of farrier accelerate of, of him celebrating over the line and it's just like you know it's just in you know the tension disperses and it's all right but it's, I mean, it's, it's not, um, all the all the robotic heads and be able to put cameras in places like this is fantastic, but it, it doesn't replace the man on the roof. It doesn't replace a photographer. If you can put, if you can physically put a photographer there, fantastic. You will get 99.9% better images most of the time because you can make the decisions. You can make little, you can make little decisions like, oh, hang on a minute, I just need to be two foot to the left. Or I need to be. Oh no, hang on a minute. No, hang on. Oh no, I need that lens, not this lens. And you can make more decisions quickly. Um, and you know, so it's you know, it's it, it's very good, but it's um, it can be very frustrating. I mean, we, you know, we, we've since moved on for the Olympics, and um, I've also been putting them uh, for the RNA who run the Open Golf. Um, for the last sort of three years, we've had them. Um, they were very interested in what we did at um, London 2012, and um, the uh, communications director there um, has, uh, has got a fantastic vision on things, and he, he 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 wanted a series of unique images and unique angles from the Open Golf, which are brilliant, fantastic, and um, their imaging partner is Nikon, who obviously were involved in London 2012 with um, their robotic head, so. I've used their robotic head um, at the Open Golf for the last three years, and initially everyone was thinking, "Oh, that's fantastic! Let, let's put um, we can put um, a robotic head on top of the yeah on top of the yellow box scoreboard, or we could put one on the clubhouse." And oh, that, that sounds that good. And I said, now, "Hang on a minute, you've got massive eighty meter cranes, that, you know, the, the TV cranes. So you know, and and they're almost bizarre." bizarrely iconic at the open golf because they have a because there's different tv companies that cover it they all go from the one place so often you'll see three next to each other or something like that um and they're always in a iconic spot looking you know at the, at the right angle i said well, hang on a minute you've got three cranes there what's the tallest one the tallest one goes 80 meters let's put a robotic underneath the crane because you can't go on you know you can't put a photographer on the crane because these the, the the crane cages have a weight limit, and by the time you've got a TV cameraman plus the TV camera, it's pretty much on its weight limit. So we only had 15 to 20 kilos to play with weight-wise, which is perfect. It's the weight of one of the robotic heads. So um, we clamped clamped a robotic head underneath the, the TV cradle, um, and the lens we put on was an 80 to 400. Which is not, you know, it's not, you know, automatically as a sports sort of thing. Oh no, I want the, 
you know, I, I need, you know, I must have a two eight lens, or I want, you know, I must want prime, want, uh, you know, want the quickest, fastest, look at the quickest, fastest lens you can have. Um, but you got also got to think about um, what you're getting out of it, and also you got to think about, um, you know, options. So we're, we ch- there's a newish um, lens. The first time we did it from from Nikon, which is an eighty to four hundred. I think it's like a four five five six lens, something like that. Three five to five six lens. And um, we decided this was the lens to go with because it gives you the biggest focal length chain. And once you're up high looking down, you don't, you don't really need 2.8 because you're getting a little extra light because you're looking down and things compress, etc. Um, and uh, it's worked fantastically well. I mean, it's, again, a lot of frustration early on. Um, the first year we did it, um, I had to... I was underneath the crane and I had, I had one, two, I had four cameras. I was controlling four different cameras. Only one of them was robotic the first year, which was under the crane, but I had three other networked cameras in unique locations. You couldn't put a person. So one of those was, um, on top of the yellow scoreboard 18 box, giving a nice wide view. And the other two were around the first tee. Um, one of which was in a box I constructed, and sitting in front of the players. So as the players tee off, they, they hit the ball over the box and then they walk past the box, um, which just gives a completely unique angle. Uh, it worked extremely well this year at St Andrews. It wasn't the box. It was that we had to use a smaller camera because of the, because of the way um, uh, St Andrews is, um, how the hole works. And what camera? What camera was that? So in the box and the robotic, it was always a Nikon D4 or D4s in the last of this year. Um, but for the St Andrews this year, I had to use one of their little compacts that we could network up, um, and I could trigger via like a radio. So I mean, because the you know like the footprint size of it had to be tiny, because where it is at St Andrews, it's essentially it's the whole of the first and eighteenth are essentially in play, but you want that iconic angle. I mean, that, you know, that iconic clubhouse, you know, I've got shots of the players walking out past it. They're literally walking past the camera with the clubhouse on the floor. So camera on the floor, players walking past it, and the, and the background is the clubhouse, which is you know, it's a unique angle. It's never been done before, and that's what it was all about. And was, you know, when I saw it, I thought, you know, we have to do this. And we went through a lot to get it approved I mean it was literally that camera angle was only approved Tuesday of the Open Championship you know yeah, the tournament starts two days later um, and it's only once you've you know you've got everything on site you've got um, you know the you know, the head person from the RNA had to approve it um, because it, for them yeah it's amazing to have that unique picture and like, angle but you don't want to have, say, a rules infringement involving it, do you? You don't want all of a sudden a ball ends up beside it and it's a problem. Or, you know, they don't want it to look ugly at the end of the day. You know, this, you know everything's on TV. Everything, you know, has got to look nice at these major events. Everything's got to look just right. And their, their vision, if you've got something ugly and in the way, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it's producing if it doesn't look good to every, 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 everyone around it. The last thing you want to do is interfere with anything to do with the play as yeah. well. I mean, no. golf golf is a game. If you've seen a rule book of from golf, it is enormous. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you've got any you know 
yeah, you don't want to you don't want to um, interrupt or um, you know have any player say, "What's that doing there? I I can't do I can't play my yeah. shot because this is in the way yeah. or whatever." Exactly. That is a definite massive no no from a sports photographer yeah. getting involved in the play yourself. Yeah, no, yeah, he's always should always yeah, you should always be recording moments, not making the moments yourself. Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> I just I I couldn't help think of then you know do you remember um, there was a TV cameraman a few a few probably about a month ago oh, now, maybe a couple of months with Bolt. He was with Usain yeah. Bolt who crashed and then oh. took him out. <laughs> you know what? He was Sorry. lucky if he'd been wearing spikes. If Bolt had been wearing spikes. Whew, he oh could have been a massive injury if he'd been wearing his spikes at the time. Well, this is the thing. If a photographer had done that, oh. if a stills photographer had done that, we all would have been banned from the stadium. For some reason, the TV got away with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't actually know what happened to him. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure he's taken off. Uh... No, I'm pretty sure I saw something about it. Was like, it was like a day or two later. There was a, some handshake or with Bolt or something, or he was there or something. I don't know. Do you think he's been taken off infield duty, though, that guy? or? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One one thing I wanted to mention as well, like um, when you were talking about those TV towers, um, the 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 cranes. Yes. I mean, I don't know if you've most golf tournaments are in fairly windy. Um, it's especially in Scotland and the north of England. It, it's a windy, uh, more blustery conditions. Yes. And if you're up, I can imagine being eighty meters high in one of those, um, you know, pickers. Unbelievable! It's, right. it, it's, it's well, terrifying. Here's here's here is quite comfortably the easiest way to describe it. Um, I was in shorts and t-shirts, you know, down at the bottom because it was a lovely hot 23, 24 degrees, clear blue sky, lovely and sunny. You know, nice English summer, Scottish summer, really, you know, lovely weather. The TV cameraman who's in that who's in that hoist, 80 meters up, looks like he's on a polar expedition, and that is no word of a lie. He has got ski pants and thermals on he's got the biggest padded thickest thickest jacket you've ever seen on gloves on everything because when he's eight meters up that wind is just unreal i mean don't i mean those cranes will come down if 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 the wind speed gets to certain height they have there they've got safety heights they can operate at but even when there's no wind um it's still at at that height it's freezing cold up there because they're completely exposed to Anything and everything. I know when I work at golf tournaments and it's pouring rain and uh, you know I'm lying down in the in some bushes or something to get some sort of angle and that and then I think oh this is terrible but then I look up <laughs> and I see the guy in that booth and I think you know what it could be worse. It could be worse. Yeah, <laughs> four hour stint up there. <laughs> now the one thing that um, impresses me most, um, especially with all this remote stuff, is. Um, you know the, the the constant search for things that have never been done. Now, we talked about Bob Martin and looking at his book, and you know things that I think you know. Oh, geez, you know this is a great angle. And then you look at Bob's book, and I realise that he did this forty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that 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 search for something different is something which um which I am still very impressed with. But the other thing which I mentioned at the time as well, which uh, you had an amazing set of pictures, and I know Ian and Chris and um, uh, and Mr. Carr as well, you all guys had amazing photos from the Olympics. Yeah. But it's probably the first time as well that in the Olympics that a photographer's got amazing photography without actually even touching a camera. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, yeah, I mean, Chris did well. Chris, Chris had his um, Chris had his portfolio from the Olympics. I think it was shortlisted in. Um, in one of the big awards, um, and uh, yeah, you know, he had a lovely set from that. And it's, you know, again, it's a lot of um, 
because a lot of the sports we've not done before or we've not done from those angles before and you and you kind of you need to intimately know the sports to know which sessions work um you know rhythmic gymnastics you know i mean you think okay well yeah that might work but you know it's the same venue as it was for badminton and everything oh badminton will work but badminton kind of worked but kind of didn't work it kind of it didn't do what we thought but then the same camera was doing rhythmic gymnastics in the same venue a week later and then all of a sudden that opened our eyes up and thought, oh, hang on a minute, that really works. Because, yeah, because you've got the clean floor and, well, you know, you can do the slow also, shutters. Well, yeah, and... well, when they have the team, so it's rhythmic gymnastics when they have the team competition, you know, the, the, the team performance, and there's like five or six or however many um, gymnasts it is with either like ribbons and balls or hoops or whatever, and you've got like those, you know, and you've got multi- multiple ribbons or whatever going out. Um, it looks, you can look amazing, it could look fantastic. Well, um, we'll put some links, um, you know, uh, I'll sort this out later, but, you know, we can sort out some um, links to some of these pictures as well on um, on the show notes for this uh, for this episode because, yeah, like I said, blown away, but, you know, I remember just looking at the end of these pictures and just thinking, wow, these pictures have been taken, you haven't touched, your your finger has never touched the shutter button all through this, th- yeah, <laughs> through this whole event, so, yeah, yeah it's a... Uh, I mean, yeah. The some people, uh, you know, some people question remotes, but you know, for me, I think it's uh, it's an amazing tool to use and and to see what you're doing with it. You know, for, like from the golf and doing different angles. It's for me, it's yeah, the, it's impressive, and I'm still blown away with what I see there yeah. on on uh, every single time. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's definitely. I think remotes fall into two categories. One is you kind of um, you're looking, yeah, you know, like a football goal remote like a football goal kind of remote, you, you're, you know, you're, you almost put it down as, um, um, a camera as a regular camera, almost every game without question, I'll put a goal remote down, uh, unless it's yeah. absolutely torrentially pouring with rain and you just think, well, you know, there's no point. My lens is going to fill with water. Fill with water and it'd be useless. <laughs> um, but, um, or oh, there, there is that you know where you're where you know where you're trying to use the vision. You think, well, hang on a minute, this is an angle I've not tried before. This is something I like, or this is something, you know, this might work. And and you're kind of you, you, with a football goal remote, you aren't taking a punt because in theory, um, you put it down and it's looking a certain way, and you know if it happens in that area, you're going to get it. It should work. It should you know. Um, whereas if you're you're looking for something different. Or you're trying to find a different angle on something, or you're thinking, "Oh, this might work. Let's see how this goes." Or this should work. This is a different angle. Let's try that. You, you're kind of taking a bit of a punt on something, but you're—it's an educated guess. You know, it, it's—you're—you're it, you're thinking, "Well, I think the background here works. This color shape works. Let's from this particular angle, the athletes might make a—you know—should should make a shape." Um, I've got actually—it's from the Olympics, but I've got one that I like. It looks like a flag, and the reason it looks like a flag is it's from ju yeah yeah it's from judo, and it's um, it's kind of the predominantly the judo mat I think was red and the sidebar is yellow or it's yellow and red I can't remember the top of it actually so top one shouldn't really question it I can just it's so it's sitting right in front of me now so the main mat is yellow and the the, the bit between the mats is red with Olympic rings on it. And I've got an athlete who has just lost. I think they've just lost a, that they're about and they're exhausted and they're laying out on their back, arms out, legs out, almost like in a star stretched out like a star. Yeah. And they're in that spot where 
they're in the yellow stripe, and to the side of it, you've got the red bit with the Olympic. And if you, da- if you, if you look at that as a thumbnail, of it, you think, hang on a minute, that looks like a flag. It's just, you know, and, and that's worked, you because know, I, I, I think, well, hang on a minute, they're, they're in the rings. And I've kind of thought, well, I like that angle, I like that shape, and I've kind of gone a bit of a 50-50 rings and a bit of mat. And you're hoping that you get a throw or you get a reaction or you get something in that, in that yellow strip that then makes a picture because then you've already got your shape and you've got, you know, you've got your framing and you've got everything. And, you know, then you're then looking for that, that, the, you know, that variable, the, you know, that human part of it to make, to finish making the picture. I think as, as, you know, that's an example of that, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I had to do that. Well, uh, just briefly, I mean, this is your interview, but I'll just say quickly, like at the Olympics, I had, was, um, fortunate enough to work with Panasonic at the time. So I had to do a lot of that pre-guessing stuff as well because um, the Panasonics were, you know, they're not a, it's not a top of the range Canon or Nikon. So you don't have that, um, that focus. It didn't have that sort of, um, so you had to do a lot of pre-focusing stuff and there was a lot of, yeah, focus the rings and, you know, when they come around the corner at the uh, athletics and then I'll say, okay, well, as soon as they hit that corner, that's where I'll take the picture. So there's a lot of that, um, and that, that does come with experience. Now, just the, to go back on to what you were saying before about the rhythm, rhythmic gymnastics, um, if you do the rehearsals and that kind of stuff, you also, or, the, or the, the qualifying, you do get an idea of what team or what individual um, performer will do what they'll do. Yeah. So you do have an idea of that. Did you have that, uh, that luxury or was no. it mostly going there for the finals and just go for the gold medal, you know, the, the the final event sort of thing. No, you literally you you you're because of this. I mean, uh, rhythmic gymnastics followed badminton in that venue. So you know, really, it was kind of like, well, you've either covered rhythmic gymnastics before and you know what happens in each in the event in each individual event, or you're looking at it for the first time. There was no once we got going because they, we had ten cameras and four of us operating. Then we had to really look at the schedule. And obviously, yeah, and obviously, for the financial outlay, you, you you've kind of got to get the most, you know, you've got you've got to get the most out of them. So you've got to think, okay, well, there's this session of this, this works. This session of that works. You're going to go there. You're going to go blah 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 blah. And we worked on a schedule that um, essentially we were covering, um, you know, proper medal sessions or actual you know competition. There was no time to go and uh, watch training sessions. Yeah, you didn't have that. Uh, I mean, even. Even doing the first rounds of something, you know, if you do like the first round of the, uh, you know, the gymnastics, and then you see the guys who are look like they're the ones that are going to win or the favourites, and then you get an idea of what their kind of um, their sequences and their dances and the re- the, the the routine. Yeah. And then once you get to the final, you go, okay, well, I know that this person will most likely do this, and then that gives you that sort of little bit of a uh, inside information sort of thing. Yeah. Sort of, but yeah, you don't have any of that kind of thing. No terrible (laughs) makes it even more of a challenge now let's um you know you've mentioned one of your uh nicer one of my favorite pictures from the olympics is there a picture that stands out for you as over your uh long career now what's uh do you have a favorite picture that uh that you like that sort Um, of stands out no not really i've got i've got um i've definitely got uh, my favourites from probably each year, or some nice frames that I've worked on recently that I'm happy with that come through. Um, I've got, I've, there's moments that are quite nice. Um, the 
the protester at the uh, boat race. Um, it's, you know, right place, right time, nailed it in terms of the moment and the picture, which was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, can you uh, protest or at the boat sorry, race? Sorry, yeah, you, sorry. Uh... yeah, so the university boat race rowing, uh, which is Oxford versus Cambridge on the River Thames once a year. Which is one event that you do on a regular basis I've, as well. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing it regularly for the last sort of four, five years, um, trying to get a bit more, you know, trying to do a bit behind the scenes stuff with it as well. And um, they, uh, a couple of years, 2012 actually, the uh, same year as the Olympics, there was a um, halfway along, it's, it's an incredible uh, physical event. I mean, these guys, I mean, they train pretty much non-stop anyway um, and they are students but essentially most of them are elite athletes as well they're kind of how it kind of works these days is it, it is the universities attract elite athletes um into courses and and you know i mean there are guys there that have come off the regular courses but they're also guys that have been growing programs um anyway so you know the race is over like four miles four and a bit miles and it takes 20 minutes. So you can imagine how fast they're running and how much physical exertion is going into this. And about halfway through the race, and um, I was on the umpire's launch for this particular race, and um, one of the reserve um, uh, umpires um, was actually a pretty well-known rower, um, an Olympic um, athlete, Matthew Pinson, um, spotted something in the water about maybe... 200 metres ahead of us, maybe a bit more. I was like, oh, yeah, what's that? And we thought, oh, well, something's floating. Or there's, a, you know, there's something's floating across the water. I wonder what it is. And I you know, started looking at it through my camera lens. And then all of a sudden, instead of just something floating, you just saw an arm as if a swimmer. You know, you know, someone's arm comes up over and like, that's a swimmer. And it's like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And then he, this protester, basically wanted to stop the race. And he swam out to the to the channel where the boats are coming through, and um, or like the like like the racing line. But um, you know the athletes are in the heat of a race; they're not listening to what's going on. They're only they're rowing hard, rowing hard, listening to their cocks, telling them go 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 go. The rowers can see the um the rowers can see the umpire; they can't see the protester. The cocks can't see the protester because they can only see their rowers in front of them. Um, they can't you know they can see in the middle distance around the boat, but they can't see exactly what's there all of a sudden. And um, the umpire stops the race or holds up a red flag, but no, you know, the rowers don't see that straight away. So they're going and going and going. And this guy was so lucky. I mean, he, he was very lucky he wasn't killed. And that's no exaggeration. Because if he'd been clipped by the boats or been clipped by any of the oars, it would have knocked him unconscious or killed him instantly. In the Thames as well, in, which is not exactly... Thames, yeah. Which is a tidal river, which is notorious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even if he'd been clipped and knocked unconscious, he could have gone down and under and got caught on a tide or something and not physically come back up again, if you know what I mean. He could have, you know. Um, but any, and um, so he kind of... He, he, he kind of... He got in the way of the Oxford boat and kind of dipped down under the... He dipped down under the oars as they came at him. And I've got a sequence where he's... he's you can see him... A, all of a sudden, just before the boat, just before the oars dipping down, his head popped back up straight away after after after, after the last oar had gone across. Um, yeah, and I, I, um, I just, you know, right right place, right time, and captured the moment. And, it, and, and you know, it's 
it's a very nice frame but i mean i wouldn't necessarily call it my favorite picture or you know it, it's just you know you're very you know you know something happened you know something very important happened in front of you and you you know you nailed it you know you got the most you know it's, it's no different to say like a uh world cup final goal you know something like that you know so it, it's yeah you know, it's and, and it's you know it's nice to get um to have that yeah, it's the more of the. It's a. It was a moment picture. It's a moment picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a moment picture. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and yes, <laughs> I'm think I will probably have to come back and speak to you again over the coming months because uh, there's a lot more to your, a lot more to your uh, arsenal or your. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a lot more to you, uh, Richard Heathcote than we've talked about today, but obviously we've focused on a lot more on the robotics, which again is for me fascinating. And I know I'm guessing you're heavily involved in the it'd be, it'd setups be, yeah, in Brazil. Sort of initially, you know, we're obviously, I mean, we're at that point where um, we've got to sort budgets and look at what's happening, and um, uh, hopefully they uh, get some stadiums them. finished in time. Yeah, I think. Well, I think yeah. I mean, but again, it's. Rio's got a lot of, um, it's got a venue called Rio Centro, which um, actually I think we're the editing team were for the World Cup. That's against a very similar to XL, very similar sports in there, very similar situation. No catwalk, low ceiling-ish. So, you know, we're, we're, we're at that very similar point where we'll be, we'll be, you know, the robotically controlled cameras is not going away um, because... Um, it's great because we can put cameras in unique angles, but also what it does is it, um, when you offer it to organisers, they like, oh, okay, that's great. We can put that up there. You don't have to necessarily, they don't have to worry so much about people walking around catwalks and things, people that aren't trained. Because you've got to be, you've got to be properly trained in all the health and safety, um, you know, sort of um, courses and certificates. And you've got to know what you're doing because you're working at height, you're working you know, you've got to wear a harness when you install these things. You know, you're you're hanging 20 kilos of very heavy camera equipment above athletes and spectators. You know, you've got to know what you do when it comes to securing it and making sure that everything uh, is not going to fall down. <laughs> well, I mean, a couple of years ago, um, I remember hearing or speaking to one of our colleagues at, uh, at the Australian Open. Um, a lot of photographers are allowed in the catwalk up there, and one of the one of the photographers had dropped one of the one four converters, you know, like a so a one four converter is a if anyone doesn't know, it's just like a it's a little extension that you can put onto your lens, so your um your four hundred mil becomes a five forty mil or something, you know, like it's one of those little it just adds a little bit of distance, you know, you lose a stop of light, but it gives you that little bit of extra reach for your lens, and some photographer had dropped it from the catwalk and it hit a spectator on the shoulder. Now, if that thing, which is not light, is dropped from a great distance and lands on somebody's head, uh, it could cause it could kill a very, very kill serious injury yeah, or it, kill it, somebody. It could kill them. It's, yeah, yeah so these having photographers walking catwalks during events you know with lens hoods and you know changing lenses and you know all this kind of stuff even dropping your keys from any sort of great height is going to cause serious damage so i'm guessing the venues and the um, organizers of the event must you know they'd rather have they know that it's up there they're secured with cables and you know you've got all your mountain climbing uh, harness style stuff attaching these things to the roof is a much safer prospect for everybody involved and like you said it gives your um again you don't have that freedom 
you know, when you were talking about that as well, you know, obviously a person can do something better. I was thinking like, you know, my geek in me, you know, like the Mars rover, you know, you can, a person can do what the Mars rover does, you know, in a week is six months work for the rover. But again, it's just not feasible to have a person on Mars. So it's the same sort of, it's the same thing for same thing for the remotes. But look, Richard, I'm, I want to I want to wrap it up, and yep. I know there's again, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about, but um, no, we've good. gone we've gone over the hour mark, which I'm sort of trying to keep it to, no, but we'll fine. we'll come back and we'll speak again, yeah, and maybe um you know if if um hopefully I'll be at the Olympics, if not, then uh, I'll do an interview when you get back yeah. from Rio, and we can um yeah run through the uh, trials and tribulations no, from the good. from Rio 2016. Yeah. No, that'd be fun. Are we expecting the same sort of thing as well? Is it going to be like the full guys and, you know, is it, are we upping the team or down or downsizing the team? Um, or we're still sort of all in discussion at the moment. A bit all in discussion. We haven't made our final decisions on how we're going to do it. I think we're, uh, we might, um, we might, it'd be very similar, but very, we might, uh, might, we might, we might make a few changes to how, um, to how some of them work. So we're just going to, we're going to sort of see our, see it. We're kind of at that point in the next sort of month or so where we make our, final decision on what we do has the software changed at all or is it is that changed much over the last four years since the or three and a bit years since the olympic uh, since the london yes very much so everything's changed it, it, it's a natural you know because again you know, i don't want to wrap this up but quickly it's kind of um because it was quite new and quite actually you know we were almost troubleshooting and finding issues and you know so every time we were finding a problem we were you know we would we're handing our um uh, experience and things back to the developers and saying, look, we'd like this, we'd like that. It could be good if we could do this. We want it to do this. We want to do that. And then that then goes forward to what they put into new products, you know, and how new products work and how and how the software, how the cameras re- work and, re- and kind of relate to what we want to do. You're a very influential man in the sports photography world, then, aren't you, Richard? You're just sort of, you know, the software I'm not sure about equipment. that. I just, I'm not sure about that. I just let everyone know how, how it seems to work for me. So, <laughs> well, that's you know, obviously your opinion is valued as well. Like, like I said, you know, testing um, testing equipment for Canon is uh, you know it's no small uh, small feat, is it? And I'm sure you're the envy of many of our listeners as well, knowing that you can get some equipment that no one else has got. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's one of the things that the big manufacturers have come to in the last few years. They've come to the realize that it's kind of like getting the feedback from a, a wide, you know, because it's not just me in our company, it's other, you know, we, we do, there's a few of us, and it's other companies, other major agencies as well do the same. Getting our feedback, you know, only helps their products get better, which in turn only helps us because it's doing what we want it to do. So, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. one of those, it's kind of expanding that, um, expanding that test bed um, to improve a product. All right, well, Richard, let's um, wrap it up no again. Cheers, Dean. Appreciate your time. No, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you very much, Richard. We'll speak. Take care. Cheers, mate. You too. Speak soon. Thanks, Richard, for speaking to me. I'm sure I will be speaking to you again with a microphone in Rio this summer. On Twitter and Instagram, Richard Heathcote is on at R Heathcote, and his website is www.richardheathcote.com Of course, as normal, there are links in the show notes to his site, social media, and the images that we spoke about in the interview or discussion. Now, the photography philosophy listeners out there in podcast land. 
do you like the show? Would you like to ask other questions? Contact me on my Twitter handle, at AllSportsNapper, or my website, again, at AllSportsNapper.com. Also, if possible, can you spare me a couple of minutes of your time and write me a review on iTunes? A quick hello to Yong in Singapore as well, who contacted me through my website, and thank you very much for your kind words, and I'm sure we'll be keeping in touch over the coming years. To everyone, I'm still working on the Dakar podcast and hope to get it done um, around my work and family commitments in the next few weeks. So please subscribe to either iTunes or SoundCloud links um, uh, so you don't miss it or don't subscribe your call. My name is Dean. Thank you very much again for your time. And last thing, observe, listen and practice because your best photo could be one frame away. Thank you.